Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm a feminist, but my friend, he doesn't have any children, and he had to take his nieces at very short notice because his sister was injured. And he was saying, oh, my God, you know, it's a whole thing having children, isn't it? And I referred to him immediately as Mr. Mom. Mm. Miss, I was like, oh, how's it going being Mr. Mom? Mr. Mom. Now, Mr. Mom, if you're a very young person, you won't know this. Mr. Mom is a film from the 80s starring Michael Keaton. And the entire plot is... A man looks after his own children. That's the full plot. Uh-huh. And he can't, he doesn't know which end of the child the food goes in. He doesn't know how a vacuum hoover works. He doesn't know, he doesn't know the basic things about how to sit upright in a chair or which of these children might be his. He doesn't know anything. And that's the whole plot of the movie. And I put this on Twitter when I realized what I'd said. I just said, oh, you know, Mr. Mom, this movie. And loads of young people said, I thought you were like joking about this would have been an 80s movie, but they'd looked it up. And one of them said, what happened to all his female relatives? Did they die? Why is he in this predicament? (laughs) But it's so funny. You could not have a movie called Mr. Mom now in which a father cannot bathe and dress his own children and get them out of the house and cook a basic meal or order from Deliveroo. Like you could not do that now. That's why this podcast exists. So we can come here with stuff like that and think, God, I really did say that. Indeed. Does your, is your husband good unsupervised at looking after your children? He's very, very good at it. He likes having kids and he's good at it. He's also Danish and they're sort of not raised with so much gender stereotyping at all to the point where it bothered my mother, I remember, when she first saw him doing stuff. Oh. She said, she said what's wrong with him? And I would say, what do you mean? She said, he's making the tea for me and you and him. 
Is he all right? She never understood what was going on with that because he also had a job. She said, but he also goes to office. <laughs> she couldn't put those two things together. Um, yeah. So, no, he's good. He's good. I mean, there's always the thing of, is he raising them the way I think he should? But, of course, he's not because he's very nice to them all the time, even when they don't do what they should. But that's why they always prefer to have him sort of be the, which is why my comedy career has really suited the children. They're like, please go. Bye. <laughs> Here, bye. It's fine. I've heard your stand up on this that he's a very scandy dad. Very scandy. So, not like he's not a pushover, but he's, you know, he's very, he will make brioche and then put really thin chocolate, which is called Polish chocolate in Denmark, which is thin strips of chocolate on it for breakfast for the kids. And they eat this. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing to me. I mean, look, the police is coming to our house even hearing this story. Did you hear that? The emergency services have been uh, called. Showing for the, up, for showing the, up. <laughs> it's, it's to take the children away now they've heard of this brioche With travesty. Yeah, for breakfast on a school day. Who does this? Yeah, it's a, there's a lot of sugar in the morning. But, you know, like he's, this is the thing is he's Danish and that's a Danish thing. If you're in Copenhagen, somebody may well offer you uh, some kind of sweet treat for breakfast. I'm a feminist. But I was pretty disappointed that this podcast is only on audio and not Zoom because I'd had my hair done. Oh, it's so beautiful, actually. Do you know what? I noticed it. I'm a feminist, but I didn't say. I didn't say, my God, you look so beautiful. Thank you. I'm I'm a a little disappointed because, you know, I would like all the guilty feminist followers to see me. But There'll be a picture. There'll be a picture. And I don't have any makeup on, so it's going to look extra good. My hair is three days old and I've got no makeup on and I've been in a writer's room all day and I I feel very grungy next to your grammar. I'm a feminist, but I think I saw you looking glorious and I thought, I didn't think, Cindy, you look glorious. I was like, oh, Cindy looks glorious. And to be honest, I feel like meeting a close female friend, especially in a work situation when she's had a blow dry and you haven't, it feels like a hostile act. It is. I know. I know. I know it is a little bit of a hostile act because especially when it's someone you know well and you really like them Mm. and all you can think when they show up and they're so well put together is, you know what? Fuck you. (laughs) Obviously, you do feel that, but then you think I like you. So it's not like a bad fuck you. It's kind of like a, why didn't you give me the heads up? Like, just drop me a text. Say, dude, I'm bringing all my game. (laughs) And now I'm looking like, you know, I get it. So I, and it's a sign that it's, it's, it's such a compliment to me that you felt like that, Deborah. Mm. I love that. I will ask, though, if you're going to do The Guilty Feminist again, uh, that, which I hope you will many times, uh, this is not a final warning by any means. What I'm saying, it's not an ultimatum. Uh, what I'm saying to you is when you do The Guilty Feminist again, if you have a blow dry, I will need 48 hours notice. I will, uh, you know, I'll give you the heads up. <laughs> yes, exactly. All puns intended. Um, I'm a feminist, but... When I saw Ed Miliband take Boris Johnson apart in the House of Commons, I thought, Fwoah! like, Ugh! I mean, it was really? good. It was good. And I've never fancied Ed Miliband before for obvious reasons. That sounds mean. I No, not fancying someone doesn't sound mean. It's mean no, it's but if you say for obvious reasons, it's just... Well, for obvious you know, reasons being that he's not your type. He's not, that's the obvious reason. That is the obvious reason. I have to admit to you, this is a true story. I met Ed Miliband once. It was after he'd resigned as Labour leader. And I said, what are you doing now? And he said, I'm still an MP. And I went, of course you are. And he went, no, everybody says that. He said, it's because Tories, if they have a position and they they resign, they tend to resign as an MP and just go, fuck it. If I'm not important, I might as well be 
not anything. I'll go off and make some money and do after dinner speaking and work in the city or something. But Or go grass shooting. Just go grass shooting in parties of seven. Yeah. But um, if you're an internationalist, do uh, Google it. Uh, it's one of our COVID things. If uh, only six children can get together for a birthday party, but numbers up to how many? 30? 30. 30, yeah. Yeah. If you're grouse shooting or doing any kind of really posh sport that Boris Johnson might want to do, then 30. Sure, fair. Yeah, but I did. I don't know. And I felt so bad that I'd said that to him. I was so embarrassed because he was saying, I love your podcast. I was like, I love your podcast. And we were getting on like a house on fire. And then I said, what else are you doing? What's your main job now? And he went, I'm an MP. And I went, of course you are. And he went, no, no, everyone asked me that. Everyone thinks I've resigned as an MP. I haven't. I've just resigned as Labour leader. I'll, I'll never forget it. It was one of those such a cringy moment. I still I still think about it. He was probably thinking about that today, just as he was taking Boris Johnson party, wasn't he? He's recovered. I don't remember him being a huge, having huge MP energy before that. I mean, I'm sure he, I, mean, I know he was an MP, but. Is you know, big MP energy like big dick energy? <laughs> of course. You know, it's, like big MP energy is like, for example, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, there are people that are not the leaders of their party, but they have big MP energy. Mm, big I mean, backbencher not, not, energy. Yeah. Cool, look at the size of that backbencher. Exactly. Yeah. He could back my bench any day. I or should it be he could bench so my long. back? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he could bench my back any day. Not back sure. my bench. Or she. The MP was a politician all the time. You and I have not spoken for so long, and this podcast is sort of really trying to contain that energy of you mm. and me not having hung out for a long time. It's very true. We should hang out. Let's go grouse shooting Grouse together. shooting, and then we'll bring everybody. Bring the whole gang. We could have a grouse shoot guilty feminist as we travel on and the audience could follow. You, me, a guest, and then 27 people in the audience. And just Can you imagine the how petrified banging. the grouse would be? They'd be like, well, what, what would be good is we'd scare is? them all off with our chat, and then we wouldn't, yes. we wouldn't be able to shoot any. We'd be like, oh, sadly, we weren't able to kill any defenseless birds. You know when you're little and you read books, but they're not from your context? So you kind of skim the bits that you don't really understand. But mm-hmm. I don't know how many of you have that, but I grew up in India and I would read these kind of, my dad read a lot of P.G. Waterhouse. I would read these books and there'd be these phrases mm. that were, I would get, but I wouldn't get. I thought it was grouch shooting for so long. What, which actually shooting was, grumpy people? Yeah, grouch shooting. I thought, oh, they've all gone into the country to shoot. I, I, I don't know what, I, what I, grouch shooting. It's only when I was later, I was like, you idiot, it's grouse. People are not walking out and shooting grouchy people. That's just horrible. I had a thing where in Eden Blyton books, they'd say uh, he ejaculated, which meant he exclaimed. Oh, yes. And my husband, Tom Selinsky, because he'd been reading, I think, some P.G. Woodhouse, which had he ejaculated. And so he put it in a creative writing essay when he was a kid, thinking he was being very suave. And the teacher called him up to the front and said, um... Tom, what does this word here mean? And Tom explained his definition and he looked it up in the dictionary. And then he closed the dictionary and went, okay. And Tom said, can I see what it says in there? And he went, no, just go back to your chair. <laughs> How did that teacher not know? And it was well done, Tom Selinsky, for putting that word in in the correct non-gutter context. There's no gutter in the young Tom Selinsky's mind. There's very little gutter in the old Tom Selinsky's mind. Old Tom Selinsky's mind. mind. He's much more PG Woodhouse than he is, you know, uh, Whatever the, 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 he is, you know, Pornhub. I think I don't okay, know. Pornhub. Yeah, uh, he's true. putting his hand up now because he wants to contribute. Yes, go. I'm not even PG thirteen Woodhouse. Hey, oh, that is a gag and a freaking half. That's some strong. He should be really doing this. I'm a feminist, but today I saw on the BBC website 
Women who started businesses in lockdown, and I thought, no, I don't want to see those. I've no interest in seeing those. I don't, I can't. Started businesses, no. I've barely kept no. mine limping along. Why, why would I? I'm sure they're all wonderful and encouraging, and I should look, because they're my great, great guests for the Guilty Feminist, and yet I continue not to look at it, because I can't. Oh, no, too much. Every too day much. I get up and don't look at that. No, it's the sort of equivalent of me pitching up here with this blow dry. You know, for no I good mean, reason. Exactly. And if you <laughs> no turn out you've on started a, a mobile blow dry service, I'm really yeah. happy. No, 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 no. Okay, so I have to do one. Uh, yeah. I'm a feminist, but even though I've been recovered from Corona for three and a half months, I keep saying I'm too tired to do things around the house. And my son finally said to me, he's a teenager, he said, Mom, you're totally fine now. Why are you saying that? And I said, don't you know that women are just, we're just more frail. So could oh. you do all, I said, so could you just do all the dishes? And Outrage. he said to me, I can't even believe. And I'm like, it, so, you know, I'm a feminist, but I don't like fucking doing dishes for five people. All right. Okay. So I got out of it and so I had you- Corona. So shit. From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Sindhu V, and our very special guests, Emma Howard Boyd and Henna Shah, talking about making money matter for feminism! This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White, with me is Cindy V, and today we are talking about making money matter for feminism. So, Cindy V. Hello. Let's just start off for 10. You used to be, I want to find a nicer way of saying this, but I can't, uh, a banker. A nicer way would be to say investment banker, because then you really know I was ripping people off. Right. Okay, great. I wasn't, then, I, I wasn't taking in checkbooks and stuff. I was taking money. Yeah, yeah. When I say banker, I don't mean bank teller. I don't mean someone who stands there and stamps your boss. Exactly. Because then sometimes when you say banker, people have like a soft and fuzzy idea of what I did. There's no need for that. I was an investment banker. And so I, you were and moving money around. I was moving money around. I was selling bonds. I loved it and I fully own it uh, that I did that. But yes, I was an investment banker. Correct. Now, now Seymour's coming in. This is the difference between cats and kids. Cats don't have naughty step or I'll take your iPad away. You see, I can say that my kids will not enter this door. Yes. But cats are like, we're coming. We're coming in. We don't. What, they don't care about. They don't have iPad? any sense of right, no. wrong, morality, punishment, None. reward. They're just like, if you give them a treat, they're like, I deserve it. Exactly. I, that's, if that's you the deny thing. them a treat, they're like, you're mean. You're an asshole. Yeah. I know. They I'm do not, not a cat. Equate. I'm a dog. I'm such a dog. I'm not a cat. I've always admired that cat vibe of like, hello, why are you not doing something for me? Well, me too. But I believe that people who are dogs want cats and people who are cats want dogs. Dude, I'm a dog and I only want dogs. I don't want cats. No offense. Well, you have immediately ruined my hypothesis, <laughs> which I find unkind. No, I'm, the, I'm the, you know, when you do statistics, there's always the, the one sample that proves that your hypothesis mm. is right. I'm that. It's true. I'll the exception that. that proves the rule. No, my theory want, is yeah. people who are eager to please in life are eager to please their cat when they come home and to see, oh, does this cat love me today? People who uh, themselves are not eager to please do not want to please anybody. So they want a dog that when they come in the door, the dog goes, I love you, I love you, I love you. And they go, yes, you do. Yeah. I, I mean, my theory on that is cats marry dogs and 
dogs marry cats or get into relationships with. Mm, that's, that's very my true. Because yeah. Tom Selinsky is a cat in life, although he's a bit of a dog with me. See, that's nice though, because he's there for you. My really husband is, is a cat in life, cat with me, cat, cat, cat. Yeah. And I'm a dog in life, but I'm a cat with Tom Selinsky, I've just realized. Look at <gasps> oh my, that's see, really my true. Was correct, which I made up literally 18 seconds ago. You are a genius. You're a genius. You're a genius. Because there are times when we've come back from like holidays. When you used to have those. Yes. Yes. Back like, in really, the day. Christmas. We don't really. Really come back from Christmas. And I've seen one of my cats turn to the other with a face as if to say, I thought you fired these waiters. <laughs> Why are they back? Because they've had cat sitters and they think they're the new waiters. And the thing is, I behave like a dog with the world. But with Tom Selinsky, I'm very capable of lying in bed going, can you go and get me coffee, please? That's so nice. The way though. that our cats will expect us to wait on them hand and foot. So similarly. Similarly. That's very good. I think I think we can just talk about this. I don't know why you talk about I mean, money mattering. I agree. I agree. I think it I might f- be a bit boring for our guests, though, who have absolutely not come to talk about cats and dogs and cat-dog marriage and et cetera and waiters and such. Indeed. Indeed. Our guests today, who we'll be hearing from later, but they're on the Zoom, so we need to make them feel included in case they want to heckle like the hecklers in the Muppets. Uh, so I just want to say uh, we have one guest today who's the chair of the Environment Agency and the UK Commissioner to the Global Commission on Adaptation. Her name is Emma Howard Boyd. Hello, Emma. Hello, everyone. Great to be here. And she is joined by the campaign advisor for Make My Money Matter, who is also a founding organiser of Hashtag Charity So White. It's Hannah Shaw. Hi, yeah, nice to be here. And on music this week, it's Katie Brooks. Hi. Hello, Katie. Oh, sorry, Hannah, you just need to say something. Hi, Hannah. Uh, So feel free to chip in up until the point uh, when we bring you in officially, because you are today our official posse, while we're still not back in theatres due to the fact that there is a global pandemic here in Camden. Hello, Guilty Feminists. It's Jessica Regan here from Big Speeches. I'm inviting you to come and see me do my own big speech, to come to some actual live theatre and not just any live theatre, safe, socially distanced promenade performances of Claire Dowie's The Year of the Monkey, a series of surprising and searing monologues performed by myself, Jessica Regan, Catherine Aaron and Polly Frame at the splendid surroundings of the Chelsea Physic Gardens. All safe, all in accordance with the latest government guidelines. Please use the offer code PODCAST20, all lowercase, to get 20% off your ticket. Go to chelseaphysicgarden.co.uk to book your tickets now. Thank you so much. So today we are talking about making money matter for feminism. Uh, So I'm going to tell you everything I know about money. When I was a kid... My sister saved all her pocket money. She still got it. I'm not making that up. She would bank her pocket money. And I 100% will tell you, she will still have bank accounts with old pocket money in because she is the biggest saver. I, on the other hand, had credit at a very young age because in Australia, you could lay by things. And lay by was like, I think in America, they might call it lay away. I don't think they have it in Britain. 
but you would go and you would put down, say there was a nice dress and you didn't have the money and you didn't have a credit card, you could put $10 down and then you'd come back next payday and you'd put another $10 down and you could pay it off. And then when you had paid it all off, you got to take it away. And it was always very exciting because you couldn't wait. It's much better than a credit card because with a credit card, you buy the dress, you wear the dress. It didn't change your life as it turns out. It's now on the bedroom floor in a crumpled heap and you're still paying it off. So lay-by, I feel, is a much more exciting proposition. If you never pay it off, you never pick it up and they keep whatever the money was that you left. So you are also incentivized to keep paying it off. And But I used to have lay-bys because I used to like to buy presents for my mother. I know, how adorable. And I would go, there was a kitchenware shop that had sort of like red enamel kitchenware. And we'd bought her something mm. for her birthday that was red enamel kitchenware. And she expressed great delight for it, probably because we were children and it was a birthday present. She was like, I love it. I love it. And I took this literally. She was probably like, great kitchenware. I don't know. Maybe she loved it. Who knows? So I paid off another thing. Every time we'd go to the shopping center as a family, I would go and give a little bit more of my pocket money. And I remember the now when I look back, the attitude of the woman who thought I was so sweet because I was paying off something for my mother. So she would give me discounts and she'd be like, why don't you just take it this week? I'd be like, I have another $5 to go. And she'd be like, I think it's fine. I think it's gone on sale now. And she would just give it to me because she felt, you know, so I was buying presents with money I didn't have when I was a little girl. And I still operate that way pretty much. Um, I think the closest thing I have to a pension is that I regularly take old clothes to help the aged. Because I feel like if I take old clothes to help the aged, I'm investing in them. And one day they will help me when I am aged. I think, I I don't know, I might have a tiny pension somewhere, but my real plan is just to become very successful, like writing TV scripts and things like that. And it'll be fine. Like my plan is mostly it'll be fine. And I'm sure that's not a good plan. But mainly I feel money is a made up concept. It's not real. It stopped meaning gold years ago. Countries print money all the time. Why am I spending my life in the service of a made-up thing? It's like if I said to you, oh, I've got three hug tokens, Sindhu, and if you give me that cake, I'll give you three hug tokens and you can collect. That's what it's like. I'm not spending my life worried about that. Your made-up hug tokens are not going to rule how I spend my days. I'm Now I'm sounding aggressive, like I'm accusing you of this system. You've never offered me a hug token and it's COVID weather, so you know you wouldn't be able to anyway. This is, where are your hug tokens now, Cindy? You can't even hug me. No, and I mean, I have to say, I, I've never offered hug tokens to anybody. And if no one's ever bothered to offer them to me, because I'd have been like, no, thank you. Can I have money instead? No, I do like money. I like money, what money can buy. I mean, I'd rather it didn't exist and we had something else that wasn't capitalism. But given capitalism, I like the things that it buys, like freedom, time, the ability to just go, you know, here's X amount to choose love or you know, a friend needs something or I want to throw an extravagant party for someone and make them feel loved or whatever. I, I like money for what it can do, but I've no real interest in sitting and watching it mount up in a bank. I don't really know mm. what's in my bank account most of the time. I say to Tom, do you know what's in that account? Or if there's if that's, you know, in in the red or the black or whatever. And I know I need to get better at these things. And I am sure that I need a pension because, and I'll tell you why, I donated a black jacket to uh, help the aged and then uh, bought it back accidentally because I walked past the hall. That's a nice jacket and that looks like it would suit me. Oh, that's a designer I like. And I went in and tried it on and I thought, well, that fits me. It's a bit worn, but actually for the price, it's fine. And when when I got it home, I realized it was mine and I knew it was mine because I had a note in the pocket and it was mine. Um, So my current pension plan is donate to help the aged, then buy the clothes back 
And in a loop event, that's like a pension, isn't it? That's as good as a pension. Hashtag, if you're listening, it's not as good as a pension. Don't don't take oh. advice from me. This is jocular yeah. jokes. This is jocular lol jokes, ruffle jokes. It, but it's not far from the truth. Sindhu V, you are an expert in money because you were, in fact, as discussed, a banker. Yeah. So, okay, first of all, back this up. I never got pocket money. Every time I needed money, I'd have to go to my mom and say, I want some money. And she would say, why? And I'd tell her and she'd say, no. How did you lay by presents for her if you didn't have? Yeah, you didn't buy your. In India, there's no concept of buying your parents presents. It's just not a thing. What? Like what was well, it, when it was her birthday, my dad would organize cake and flowers, and then we'd be a card from all of us, mm-hmm. or he'd give us some money and say, "Go buy a card." Mm-hmm. That was it. We didn't have pocket money. We didn't have that kind of independence. Other kids did. We didn't. My mother was like, I, "You don't need this thing." So. And then later, I remember when I was at university and I used to want to buy cigarettes mainly, which I couldn't tell my parents because they didn't know I smoked, among the many things they didn't know. So then I would borrow money off my friends. And then in some, there's a few festivals or celebrations during the year and kids get money. And one of them is Rakhi, when you tie a thread to your brother and he usually gives you money. So I would have this money and I'd pay back my friends or whatever. And I would say to my mom, I need to buy lunch. And then by then my mom was working, so she'd give me money. It was always this kind of... My relationship with money was always, it's important because it's freedom, but I don't know where it's going to come from. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't have any relationship to money that originated out of me. And then I was supposed to have an arranged marriage. So my mom was always looking, she used to always say, this is a good boy, you know, but he's not very rich. And I remember thinking, well, what about the other parts of his personality? And she would say, you shut up. You don't know anything about marriage, mm-hmm. which I didn't, but it was my marriage. And then I remember I got a scholarship to come to the UK to study, which means they paid my fees and they gave me just under £5,000 a year to live on. That was the first time I had my own money. I immediately spent all my money Mm. in one go on cigarettes and pizza and then was like, now what? And my other friends who'd come with me from India were like, what are you doing? You need a budget. I had no idea. I was like, oh. Oh, my money. My money. Look, I have money. I couldn't. Money came out of a hole in the wall. Do you understand what I'm saying? Mm. I had no idea of this thing. I had a card. And then they asked me, do you want to overdraft? I was like, what's that? Debt. Debt I was very scared of. Because, I, you know, we used to hear stories like that. So with the money, I think the thing was I was terrible with it. I had it. I was terrible with it. But I wanted to be a professor. So it's not like I was trying to make a lot of money. When I became, for whatever reason, a banker, I'll be very honest with you. I could not believe what was going on. I was like, how is anyone paying anybody this kind of money? And I was a junior banker. So it's not like I was making tons of money. Of course, by many standards I was, but by banking standards. And I remember I used to do this thing. Because also you have to remember, for me, financial independence was also about not getting married to someone Mm -hmm. that I didn't want to marry or whatever. I used to do this thing, Deborah, and I will say it out loud, in the first three months of joining banking, which to me was really a way of being free. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know how to do the job. I used to go to the ATM. I lived in Notting Hill at the time. There was an ATM on Kensington High Street. I used to go put the card in and stare at my bank balance. I would just stare at it because I couldn't. And it wasn't, you know, people always think bankers have millions. The people who join as, as associates. Of course, don't have don't, that kind of money. But it, I just would look at it and I would think all the things I'm going to do with this money and then do nothing. Mm. and then leave. But I sent a lot of money home, you know, to my mother for various things. That's when I started buying her gifts. But what I realized early on when it came to money was that A, women have much more complicated relationships with money than men. Women tend not to 
plan for the future and put their money away or there's always this kind of shadow dancing with women and money. It doesn't matter how much money you have. Mm-hmm. And I also realized that women were growing up, at least in my generation, were growing up not expecting to be originators and managers of their own money. So when it was coming, and I'm talking about women in banking, when it was coming, they always talked about, I'm going to shop in New York. I bought a new handbag. But I never heard anyone say anything about a pension mm-hmm. or about you know money management. It was my father who always said to me, you must save money. Mm-hmm. And then my mother used to call me and say, did your father phone you and tell you to save money? Don't mm-hmm. listen to him. He's very boring. <laughs> you must use your money and buy Mercedes car. Now, huh? like, I don't even drive. But, you know, I realized that in banking that for some reason, and I hope that our panelists today will be able to maybe talk to this as well. Women didn't have coherent or it was harder to understand for women to deal with the fact that they had money and what to do and their futures. And I didn't want to fall into that because I had this feeling that I was going to be responsible for my own future because I wasn't getting married. And as my mother said, well, now you are 27. In America, I heard a phrase, she is on the shelf. Mm-hmm. I want to tell you that you have fallen behind the shelf and into the floor. Uh-huh. You are not on the shelf, you are behind the shelf and have disappeared. You will never get married. At 27, she said that to me. So I thought, well, if I'm going to be behind the shelf and alone, then I may as well know what to do about money. So I did think a bit more about it. I saved some. I didn't do that much, but I just did, you know, sort of kept a little bit of an eye on it. And then I got married and my husband is, you know, very rational and organized. And I had this thing where when I first got my own apartment, I used to get these notices in the post. And they would say council tax and council tax. And I used to look at them and I think, well, I'm not part of the council. So I would throw them away. Oh. I didn't know what they were. And then they started getting red. Oh, no. And I thought, oh, what is this? And I thought maybe it's because I was in a rented flat. One day before I was going to work, I, it was a doorbell rang and there were two guys outside the flat. And they said, we are the bailiff. And I was like, what's that? I have to get to work. I used to leave at 6 a.m. I was like, what do you mean? I have to get to work. And they said, no, <laughs> council tax. I said, yeah, but I'm not part of the council. Mm-hmm. Maybe the owner of the flat. They were like, what council do you want to be part of? I was like, I don't know the council that you have to be part of to pay the dues to the council. I think they thought I was crazy talking mm. about that. I'm not part of the council. But they said, well, we've come to take like your stuff. Oh, my God. And, and I was like, well, you have to appreciate this is a furnished flat. So it's mm-hmm. not even my shit. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I was in some kind of legal trouble. So, of course, I started crying mm-hmm. because I did not want to get deported to India and face my mother. Mm-hmm. So, I started crying. These guys calmed me down. They then told me that I could do a on-the-spot payment mm-hmm. for a big shitload of money, which I did. And I gave them tea and I cried and then we had biscuits and tea. And then they left and they were very nice. But my husband, when he heard this story, he was like, how about I handle the finances? Otherwise, we're all going to jail. <laughs> so, you know, but I do think that when it comes to money, women, there's a weird thing. Uh, well, it's the, just- the weird thing is the history of the world. Like, obviously, there are some women who are right on it. And there are some men who absolutely aren't. But, you know, it's no surprise if there's a trend towards men asserting themselves fiscally, asking for bonuses, asking for raises, uh, assuming they can, you know, shuffle their money around and da-da-da-da-da. That's just the history of the world. If you watch, um, 
you know, Edwardian films about banking, all of the administrators, all the secretaries, everyone was male. It's a very, very short period of time that women have been allowed. Now, this is not to say, obviously, there's, you know, banking is very, I mean, they're always trying to get more diversity and, you know, it's still a very male domain. But obviously, you know, some of the most brilliant mathematical uh, banking minds, money minds in the world are female. And uh, many, many people I know who don't have anything approaching like a working idea of money, a male. But if there's a trend, it's an historical trend and and, and it's still a geographical trend uh, in some parts of the world where women are still denied access to money or uh, access to education or access to uh, certain sorts of jobs. That's where we need our guest today. Exactly. So, to bring our guests in, who we introduced earlier, uh, we first have Emma Howard-Boyd. As I said, she's the chair of the Environment Agency, and she's worked in financial services for 25 years and is an expert in the corporate governance and sustainability fields. She's joined by the campaign advisor for Make My Money Matter, who is also a founding organizer of Hashtag Charity, so wider political activist and charity trustee. That is Henna Shah. So, hello, Emma and Henna. Hello. Hello. If I could just link to what Cindy was saying about women saving, the average pension pot for a 65-year-old woman in the UK is £35,800, which is a fifth of the average pension pot for a man. And I think therein lies Mm. the reason why it is so important that you're hosting this discussion this evening so that women really get to understand the importance of saving and then where the brilliant make my money matter campaign comes in is twofold firstly we know that women are really interested in whether it's diversity issues whether it's planetary issues whether it's nature whether it's caring that if they are going to invest, they want to know that their money is being invested in the right kind of companies. And if they also understand that that is going to perform well, so you're going to make a return on that money, which is incredibly important to safeguard your future life, your, your time when you are retiring beyond earning money. And again, the average cost of residential care is something like £132,000. So if you've only saved around £36,000 and then you end up having to go into residential care, there's a massive mismatch before you think about just everyday living. Perhaps by emphasising making your money matter, more women will really see the value of saving because it's about saving into a world worth retiring into. Yes, I need to think about this. Part of me thinks, will the world be here because of climate change and sustainability? And am I just sort of push stashing money away that I could be, you know, using usefully now? But we have to act as if everything will be here and how can the choice of our pension mean that it's more likely that things will, you know, that the world will be here and not on fire? Well, particularly having seen some of the news items recently about climate change, fires in California, I think you're, you're right to ask that question. But when we all think about the things that we can do to make a difference, and there's a whole range of different things that we can do, often what people do not realise is that you can 
have a massive impact, no matter how small your savings might be, by sending a very, very strong signal to the fund managers, the people who are managing the money on your behalf, to encourage, demand the companies in which they're investing to prepare for the shocks of climate change, but also set on the right path towards reducing the sorts of emissions that we know are having an impact mm -hmm. on the world. And research has shown that that impact that you can have is 27 times greater than other things you can do, like turning to veganism, eating less meat. Wow. Because so I would have thought being vegan would be one of the biggest things you could do, which it still is, and you should still do it. But I say from my place of trying to cut out meat as much as I can increasingly, but you're saying this is more important. Now, we should say it's a privilege. Everything is important. It is Everything's so important. important that we're doing everything, but okay. it sends a very strong signal. So do everything. Don't give up veganism to do this. If you're trying to be more plant-based, as I am, keep on trying to be plant-based and do this. We should say it's a privilege to have a pension or, you know, there are lots of people listening absolutely. who are absolutely living hand to mouth and are like, lol, oh, why don't I just talk to my fund manager? Um, there are many, many feminists and many women who wouldn't even identify as feminists because they're like, I am so busy trying to keep a roof over my head and some food on the table for my children. I cannot be engaging with this. So we start from saying this is a privileged place, but... If you don't have a pension and you think I've got the kind of job where I possibly could put something aside and now it makes me worry that men at my level have a pension and I don't or men at my level have a bigger pension and I don't and I, I want that window to be closed or, oh, yeah, I've got a pension because I've got that kind of job where they give you a pension or yes, 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 I've done that sort of boring thing where I've just gone to my, you know, whoever it is, uh, can I please have a pension? Or you might be riveted by pensions, I don't know. But if you're listening and you, you're any of those you can speak to your fund manager and say, where is the money that I'm giving you being invested right now? I need to know where it is this year, where it is next year, who is trying to turn it into a little bit of money into more money so that I've got some money when I'm very old beyond what the state gives me. If by the time we're old, the state gives us anything because it's possible that there won't be any money left. So how do you go about knowing who your fund manager is, Emma? So this is where it's also important to recognise that we've also seen the introduction of workplace pensions, which means that if you're an organisation above a certain size, you have to offer a pension to your staff. And again, this shows that whether you're a woman or indeed a man, often people don't realise or recognise that there is a pension pot that is being built up on your behalf. And so it's really key to start asking questions maybe that it's your HR manager uh, that can provide you with the detail of where to start on this quest but even before that uh, and we've seen it with fantastic action led by students talking to if you're at university or colleges where there are endowments owned by those colleges. There is way, different ways of influencing money. But talking about pensions, it's really key that you start off with those individuals within your organization who are helping you with understanding that that is available to you and then drilling down into the questions of how that money is being managed. Sindhu, you know more about money than me 
I feel like you should ask some pertinent questions or maybe bring Hannah in. I think what I want to ask Hannah first up is what exactly does Make My Money Matter do? Because then I think we'll see the link with what Emma is saying. Sure. Make My Money Matter is a new campaign. It was co-founded by this brilliant woman called Jo Corlett, who used to work in Number 10. And Richard Curtis, he co-founded Comic Relief and he was also really involved in Make Poverty History. I don't know if you remember that. Those cool rubber wristbands everyone was wearing in the noughties for a while. If you think, oh, where do I know his name from? It might be Four Weddings at a Funeral, Love Actually, um, a bunch of movies uh, like that recently, yesterday. Um, they were talking about what they should do next for international development. And they've done stuff with Make Property History, which is all about countries providing aid and cancelling countries' debt and with Comic Relief, which is about what individuals can give. And actually they said, look, we're trying to make the world a better place. The one thing we haven't done is think about the role banks should pay, private finance, companies, the stuff that makes our world turn around. And that's where Make My Money Matter was born. At the same time, uh, I really encourage you to look this up and maybe I'll tell Tom to drop it in the show notes afterwards. Richard saw a TED talk by a woman called Bronwyn King and she's brilliant. She looks like a superwoman, exactly as you imagine her. She turns up in the, her TED talk in her power suit and, and impeccable hair. I think there is really something, Cindy, about having well done hair that makes people think you know what you're talking about. And 100%. I have lots of hair and it's very curly. So I often think that people think I don't know what I'm talking about. She's an oncologist, so she talks about being a young doctor, helping treat people who have cancer, and says, oh, one day I went and met with my pension fund manager, and I had no idea what my pension for the past 15 years had been invested in. And she finds out that her pension is invested in loads of stuff, and that that could include things like coal, oil, gas, mm -hmm. technology companies, and also tobacco and for her as someone who'd been spending her entire life curing cancer she found out that I think three of the top five international holdings in her pension were all big tobacco companies and rather than sit back and take it she uh, decided to start a campaign where she basically now flies around the world telling people that they shouldn't invest in Tobacco as funds, which I think is amazing. Um, and I think the key thing here and the key reason that Richard obviously is a storyteller, you were talking about four weddings and a funeral, Love Actually, is the story there is so profound, right? She lives her life a certain way and has lived it for 20 years and then finds out that all this time she'd been accidentally investing in something that she didn't even realise that was contradicting everything she was doing. And... I think for us at Make My Money Matter, that's really the core of the campaign. It's not about saying you should invest in this, you shouldn't invest in that. It's about saying, just as you're all mentioning, people are going vegan because they care about the environment. Mm -hmm. You might not buy fast fashion anymore. You might spend your time reselling and buying back your clothes from charity shops. Um, you'll be using your keep cup. You'll have a hundred different metal straws, but actually... You don't know where your pension money, if you're lucky enough to have a pension, is actually going. What's the worst case scenario? Where's the worst it could be? For most people, it's probably going into 
lots of companies that still extract fossil fuels and some of those companies are working to tackle climate change so they're doing something where they say yes we're going to go net zero emissions so we want to abide by the Paris Climate Agreement which means we'll stop taking carbon out of the ground but some of those companies aren't they could be investing in tobacco most pension funds don't but lots of funds will be investing in things like arms and it's up to you to not only find out where your money's invested, but also think about what it could be invested in. And that's more of the thrust of the campaign. It's saying, well, we know pension funds are invested in all sorts of things, but it should be in your power because it's your money to say where they're going. Wouldn't you rather your pension invested in local green infrastructure or affordable housing or renewable energy? And that's all stuff that could and should happen as part of people's portfolios. But unless people ask for it, the change won't happen fast enough to make a really big impact on our world. That's amazing because that's, see, here's the thing is I think what this really shows in the context of women especially is that uh, there's all these statistics about uh, women do X share of the housework and they go out to work, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying men don't work hard, but women typically who are earning money and putting away a pension if they have a family, they tend to also be a lot of caregiving going on. They're taking care of parents or their own children. Women work really hard to make money. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying men don't, but I am saying that, in my opinion, women often work more hard because they've got other responsibilities. And um, while we say to women, well, money is freedom and money is power, money is a tool by which you can affect decisions. And I think that Make My Money Matter is a great way of making you understand that you have arsenal to make a difference. And that is the money you're earning. You're already earning it. Now you use it to make a difference, as in this is a power you have. Exactly. You know, and I think the idea of equating money with power is almost dirty because we all think of succession, which is, by the way, a great show. Um, but <laughs> it's power. Power is also very positive, you know. You know if, like, and I think we, this is a... A way of illustrating how you can be a superhero through the money that you are saving up for the future. And it's another way of encouraging you to understand the power that you have. Make My Money Matter builds off the campaigning of a fantastic organization called Share Action, led by another brilliant woman called Catherine Howarth. And again, huge amount of resources on their website. Catherine is an advisor to Make My Money Matter. So this is totally aligned in in terms of the thinking, the encouragement. But on the Share Action website, some really excellent steps to start out finding out how to engage with your pension Mm. fund, but then also highlighting the brilliant things that you can do with your pension fund. And this is where I want to bring in the environment agency, uh, where we have a pension fund. It's part of the local government pension scheme. And over the years that the Environment Agency has been running, but also building from some of the organisations it came from, we now have 40,000 people, beneficiaries they're called technically, but we're looking after 40,000 people's hard-earned savings for their retirement. Some of them are already retired. Some of them have moved on into different roles. We currently have 10,000 people working at the forefront of the climate change agenda. 
And we know because we are so closely linked with 10,000 of the 40,000, how passionate they are that the money that is being saved for their retirement, and again, you know, this comes with privilege. That you would have a real uh, idea of a retirement or money to put into it, but many people do, and this is for them. Yeah, And also for for all those people that think, well, I have the money to make a difference. You know, if you make a difference in the right way, you make a difference for those sisters who don't have the money Mm -hmm. because you're creating better outcomes in general. Do you know what I mean? The fewer tobacco and arms companies or, you know, that are or environmentally unfriendly companies. So I don't think it's ever wasted. And I'm not saying it's enough to help those who are less privileged. Of course, we should always pull them up in every single way. But it's not just for you when you take these steps. It's for a wider good. And again, going back to the signals that you are then sending to the underlying companies that you're investing in, that it's important to look after your staff. And that's both men and women, some of the sisters that we're talking about. You can send so many powerful signals. And again, for my time working in the investment world, it doesn't take many people sending that signal for you to understand that this is something that people care about and gives you, if you are a fund manager, the power to start raising those questions to show that it's not just about financial performance. It's also incredibly important that you're understanding the way people are being treated, what the product is actually doing. Is it generating good or is it generating harm? And starts moving everything in the right direction from my perspective. As my mother used to say, money talks and shit walks. Mm-hmm. Because I think if women understand the power of the earnings that they're already earning mm-hmm. and start to have this uh, shift in perspective with what their money is doing for them, then I think a lot of companies, a lot of high finance has to pay attention. Yes, it's mm-hmm. slow, but it's definitely something in the right direction. I think the pace is picking up as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the UK hosting COP26, the climate discussions next year, the fact that Richard has launched this campaign really shows that there is a momentum building and a lot of banks, a lot of investment companies are now absolutely signaling that this is no longer about a little strand of work, a green fund at the edge of what they're doing. They are now totally focused on what's called the environmental, social and governance performance of companies and sending very, very strong signals to the chief executives and the chairs of those companies that the investment movement, ultimately the citizen saver wants to invest in a different world, wants to get rid of the risks that are building up, but also wants to see the positive world as well come through with investments in safe water, renewables, a whole range of different things. I think it's just a revelation to a lot of people that it's your money. I think you think it's not your money. I think you think, well, you've put it into a pension plan. What they do with it is what they do with it. And then hopefully they give it back to you at the end with some more on it. But it's your money and someone's minding it. And in order to make more money out of it, they're saying, well, you mind it. Can you make some more money and then give it back to us? Can you mind it? And so... It's your money. You need to know where your money is. You can't just say, I don't know, I gave it to a man. He did something with it. You have to say, it's my money. Excuse me, where is it? And where is it now? 
And what are you doing with it? And what's, tell me about that company. And why would you recommend that company? And what's that company's idea of the future? And now how feminist is this company? How activist is this company? How sustainable is this company? What's this company's record in the world? Are they investing in places that use sweatshops? Are they doing stuff about renewable energies? All of that sort of stuff. It's a bit like if you had a flat and you couldn't live in it or a house and you couldn't live in it, and you said, I'm going to rent it out. And then you found out people were cooking crystal meth in it and selling it to kids. You wouldn't just go, it's not my house at the moment though, is it? You'd be like, I don't want that in my house. Like it's my house. And that's why they call it my house. Even if you sublet a room of a rental, you'd be like, I don't really want the crystal meth in the house. I don't want you selling that to children. That's not, I don't feel good about that. So you have to think of it like that. It's hard to, because a house is tangible. It's got a door, it's got windows. You can knock on the house. Money is a made up thing. You kind of go, I don't know where it is. It's somewhere. I think you think... It's not like anyone's got your actual cash. It's all on computers. So is that real? Is that tangible? Yes, it's real and it's yours. You earned it. You gave it to someone. Where is it? We have to be asking that question. Yeah. And also, I think the thing with money is that we often think that it's powerful and useful when we're transacting with it. We don't realize how much power money has based on where you park it. Mm. And then it's just parked, but it's still very powerful. I think part of the problem is that finance companies and pension providers are bad at talking to people because it's an intangible thing. It's not like you can look at a house. If you look at your pension, and we've had people, so you should write to your pension provider, you should speak to your employer. We've had people who have written to their pension provider and said really clearly, what is my pension invested in? What are my top holdings? What are you doing about the climate? Can you tell me? And they get back uh, one of my favourites was a printed out black and white sort of 20 page document in tiny writing, which someone had then scanned and uploaded as images onto an email and then emailed someone. No person with a normal life, a person who's got a pension and it's a passing thing is going to sit there and read all the small print and say, oh, my pension's invested in these 14 funds. They all look like they have the same name. This is what this means. And actually, part of our campaign is you need to ask a question. Once your employer, does your employer know where your pension is invested? We have so many great companies right now who are trying to be more sustainable, but actually, what's the point of making sustainable shoes or sustainable bags if the money that you're paying in towards your employees' pensions every month isn't invested in line with those sustainable goals. And the same thing with the pension providers. Do you think so the first place people can go is to their employer, to their Absolutely. HR person, you know, at yeah. least for the work pension thing and have a discussion and then from there, then move forward? Because I think companies do have a responsibility to their employees. If they ask, where's my work pension? They have to give them an answer that's reasonable. And yeah. that's a very reasonable question. Women are often so afraid of asking questions. Either they think they're stupid or they think they're going to be being a pain in the ass. Let me tell you, man, it is so rewarding to be a woman who's a pain in the ass because you're usually asking a question that no one has asked and you get a good response. I think one of the answers that is often given is if you're going to invest sustainably, if you are going to invest and make your money matter, what impact will that have on the returns that you're going to make? And that can be very off-putting. You're being told that you've got a choice between investing in something that you think is the right thing to do and the performance, you know, will, will that generate money? The work that we have done over a decade 
and more at the Environment Agency Pension Fund by gradually switching the money that we're looking after on behalf of the beneficiaries, on behalf of our current colleagues and former colleagues, is performing very nicely, thank you. It's delivering long-term returns whilst taking into account environmental sustainability, climate change issues. And we've seen over recent periods that it's money invested in socially responsible funds that have done well throughout the very dramatic toing and froing and ups and downs of stock markets over recent months. So this is a way that you can not only invest in the things that you want to invest in, but it will deliver strong returns as well. So what you're saying is if I give my money to Dr. Evil, he's not going to give more money back to me when I'm a little old lady going, oh shit, I forgot to save any money in my bank account. He's not going to give me more money than if I give it to sustainable things and put feminism first. This is one time where I can put feminism first and I'm not going to personally suffer later. If you're investing for the long term then the returns come through. There's always a risk if you invest for a very short period of time that the so-called sin stocks could outperform. But this is long-term investment strategies for long-term returns. These funds absolutely are performing. Are they called sin stocks? What, the the ones that are like the Dr. Evil stocks? They're sin stocks. Is That's what some is that commentators how, refer to. Is that them. how you named them, sin du v? When you were banking, is this the origin? <laughs> no, Your favourites? Uh, you know what? I was in equities. I was in fixed income, so I didn't deal with stocks. I just dealt with bonds. I just. I'm dealt, just dealt hearing with... blah blah blah. There, yeah, I don't. Exactly, I don't understand exactly. anything that you've just said. Yeah. But so I'm sorry, sure sorry. you were very successful. And yeah, money. Uh, but fixed <laughs> income has a sustainability strategy too. And the more we invest in that as a society, the more valuable the stock will be. The more we prioritise sustainable yeah. solutions. Sorry to say sustainable solutions. I apologize, listeners. But that's true. The more we invest in uh, sustainability, the more valuable it will be. If we call it valuable, if we decide as a community it is valuable and more valuable than just a quick return and then burn the world, let it burn, and uh, who can die richest at Armageddon, then it will be important. So your money, if you have a pension, if you're lucky enough to have a pension, somebody's got your money. If you don't know who's minding it, if you don't know what they're doing with it, you better find out. And then you can pressure them and go, hey, I only want my money in these kinds of companies. Can you please show me your workings? And if you do that, uh, you can make your money a more sustainable, more feminist commodity. It's working whether you're working or not. Like you could be, you're over here, you might be furloughed, but there is your pension is working. Uh, It's doing something. So you need to know who it's working for. Is it working for an evil genius? Is it working for somebody who's trying to make the world a better place? And uh, that's the question you need to be asking. And you can shift it because, frankly, uh, it's yours. It's like your house, your car. That's why they call it your money. It's not just sort of nebulously floating around in a cloud. It is out there. It's doing something. Go and find out if your money is currently working for a dictator or an evil genius or even an evil, not very clever person. That could be the case as well. And try and shift it up. Can you tell us, Hannah, what... Hashtag Charity So White is? Yeah, sure. Um, hashtag Charity So White is a campaign we started last year to tackle racism in the charity sector. Um, started off because Citizens Advice put out some training. Obviously, Citizens Advice train lots of volunteers to serve their communities and they're doing great work right now. 
uh, and they put out some training about dealing with BAME communities, so people of colour, and it basically said along the lines of people of colour only really understand cash. They spend a lot of time with their families. Basically a list of nine or ten things that were quite stereotypical. And we said, well, actually, this is racist. These communities are different people. And what it did do, and actually Citizens Advice have been quite good at sort of rectifying it and moving forward, but this highlights a much greater challenge. And we asked lots of people of colour and BAME people working in the sector. And we said, write in your experiences of racism. Why didn't you tell us mm. what your experience of working in the charity sector has been like? And some of the stuff we got back was really horrifying. And I think the thing here is that we've talked about racism a lot recently. Obviously, you had the Black Lives Matter movement. We've talked about the disproportionate impact of COVID on uh, people who aren't white. But actually, because... The charity sector is seen as a sector where people do good, where people have the best intentions and where people don't have very many resources. Often the challenges, things like racism, sexism, ableism are swept under the carpet because actually does it really matter if you're racist, sexist and ableist, if you're trying to do the right thing? And actually our point is, well, it sort of does because you're only helping people in the right way if you take all those things into account. And we've been campaigning for about a year now. We've had some real wins and it's been useful to have the campaign in the context of COVID because it's the small sort of BAME-focused charities that have suffered the most. And actually, this is the story of COVID. We're all suffering. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's the people who already have the least who are being hit hardest. And it's the organisations who are working with them and the organisations supporting those people who have been hit harder still. And that's what we're working on. And we're campaigning and we're trying to raise uh, the profile of this within the sector and obviously within our own organisations and say, actually, we should be doing more to bring in questions of race when we do campaigning and when we do this kind of work. Because actually, I mean, pensions, perfect example. When you talk about the climate crisis and you talk about the impact it has, we're investing sustainably and we're thinking about where our money goes for our futures but actually we're seeing the impact of the climate crisis on people who live in Africa and people who live in Asia it's already affecting them it's already sinking the Maldives for example Mm. and these are things that are really tied to questions of race and I think that's something we can't forget when we talk about any issue that we're doing right now. That is so important. Everybody search for hashtag charity so white and educate yourself about it, especially, and I can't put too fine a point on this, uh, if you are white, if you are black or brown and you do not feel like you want to engage in this at the moment because you are have a lot on your plate emotionally and you don't have the bandwidth, obviously keep on walking. But if you're white, you really have an obligation to look into this, especially if you're in the charitable sector, you give to charities, you engage with charities in any way, which I'm sure all the Guilty Feminist listeners do. Is there anything that you came to say, either Emma or Henna, that you did not get to say that you'd like to leave on the table? I have one thing. Yes. And my thing is, if you are a convert to the world of sustainable pensions and think pensions are cool and that they make you powerful, all of which are true, uh, we are running a campaign which is asking people to write to their pension providers and tell them that they should go net zero, which means that they should commit 
to really important climate targets, which will mean that we don't end up in some sort of awful climate dystopia. And if you go to makemymoneymatter.co.uk forward slash net hyphen zero, you can write to your provider there. And also on our website, you can have a look and learn more about the campaign and talk to me if you'd like your organisation to think more about its pension. Great. And how can we contact you, Henna? You can email me, henna at makemymoneymatter.co.uk and I'll make sure that's in the show notes because some people call me Hannah and some people call me Heather and some people call me Hannah and that's okay. So it's H-E-N-N-A. That's the one. And uh, if you do write, just maybe say that you heard it on The Guilty Feminist so that we know that the show had an impact. And Emma, uh, is there anything you came to say that you didn't get to say? I really want to emphasise the importance of a healthy environment and healthy nature. I think during the pandemic, again, those of us who've had access to green spaces have really appreciated that. Those of us that have breathed cleaner air have really appreciated that. But to Henna's point about racial inequality, we know that often it's the vulnerable communities, not just the vulnerable countries, but also some communities that are suffering more than others. And now couldn't be a better time to invest in nature recovery and a cleaner environment. And I'm not just talking about our pensions. I'm talking about how we as individuals signal in any way the importance of these things, how we signal to our politicians, how we signal to the companies that where we're buying goods from them, the importance of getting this right right now. We're at the start of a decade where we all need to act on climate. Otherwise, we are potentially going to lose this moment to get on track for a healthy planet, a healthy economy and our own health as well. So really now is the moment to draw attention to the importance of these issues. And if you don't have a pension, but your mum and or dads have pensions, but you've got relatives who've got pensions, if you think, oh, bloody hell, I'm a millennial, I'm Gen Z, and as if I've got a pension, shut up. Uh, You may have family who have pensions and you can talk to them. What a great thing to bring up at Christmas. Um, because things are generally not tense enough at Christmas. Bring it up. We go home, end of the year. I don't want to assume you have Christmas. You could have uh, some other reason to go home at the end of the year. Or even before that, maybe we'll go into another lockdown and you'll be locked away with people you don't like very much. Why don't you bring up how their pension is not sustainable enough and just go right in for the jugular? Seriously, though, write to people. You may have a job in the arts where you just go, lol, I don't have a pension now and I don't see one happening in the next ever. Um But you might have a sister or a brother who has one of those jobs where you just get a pension with the gig, or in fact, they might be one of those savers who are all over those kinds of things and investors. So you have influence, even if you don't have money. Uh, You can post about it. You can share it. Uh, Don't forget anyone who makes their pension more sustainable is doing something more powerful than giving up flying, more powerful in terms of the environment that even going for a fully plant-based diet. So even spreading the word, you don't have to have a pension, but as a feminist act, as an activist act, you can spread the word, you can share it, uh, you can tell other people about it with your actual mouth in real life, put it on your Instagram. There's so many fun little things. There's a fun little video with Martin Freeman voicing a naked, uh, it's a naked 
Woolman, I think, really. I don't know. Go and check out what's on the Insta and share those things because, listen, it doesn't matter if you don't have any money. The planet is yours. We've only got one and you cannot leave it just to rich people with huge investments to decide how long this planet's going to keep turning with us on it. So if you think, oh God, I'm not going to hold cold and speak to my fund manager. Sure. As soon as I've just uh, paid my back pay and rent out of this uh, furloughed nightmare that is 2020, then uh, talk to others and share that information because it would be really nice if the planet was still here in 20. 50 and 100 years and 5,000 years time in a habitable fashion for human beings. So there are always things you can do if you don't have money, but you might have time, you might have influence. And so don't forget the heft of that. Uh, Sindhu, is there anything you'd like to plug? First of all, I'd like to plug that I'm a huge fan of Deborah. Um, Second of all, I'd like to plug that it's very gratifying to me to be on this particular episode because when you're a woman who earns money, that in itself is notable you know like deborah pointed out some decades ago our money wasn't our own Mm -hmm. so when you're a woman who's financially independent that's notable you feel immediately like you've done it that's it i did it but actually it goes further than that because it's not just earning the money but also you have a lot of power in how you deploy that money when you park it how you deploy it and you buy a nice handbag lovely but how you deploy it when it's just parked and i think this episode is It's very powerful for that insight. And I think the third thing I want to plug is the fact that we always have to remember, especially, you know, all human beings, but especially as women, that there's so many actions we can take that will have a ripple effect that will bring other people with us that we may not otherwise more directly be able to help. And of course, the most important thing I want to plug is I have a podcast. Um, It's called Child Labor Podcast. It's called Child Labor. And I host it with Stu Goldsmith. And it's about the labor of raising kids, but also having been a kid, having had parents, and then you have kids and it's this cycle and how are we all doing it? Who knows? So if you feel like, do listen to that. But um, yeah, that's about it. I think that's a lot of plugs, man. Playing us out, doing her song, uh, it's Katie Brooks. Katie, Could you tell us a little bit about the song you're going to sing? Thank you so much for coming and joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. The song, uh, it's not about money. Um, Get out. (laughs) I specifically requested a bespoke pensions ballad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I I tried everything I could. Um, But I did rustle up something that is guilty feminist uh, related. It's a surprise. Um, Ooh, the, the song is um, is about someone who's a bit ambivalent and, and messes you around. Um, a difficult woman, basically. Um, that goes uh, with Sindhu V's hashtag, be a pain in the arse. Yeah, but it was not a good pain in the arse in this respect, though. Oh. But there's a little bit of a surprise uh, in the middle of it, as you will see. Okay. Uh, and Katie, where can we uh, hear your music? Uh, you can hear my music on Spotify. I'm Katie with an E-Y and Brooks without an E. And I'm on Instagram. That's where I hang out most if I'm hanging out online. Um, so that's just at Katie Brooks on Insta. So do come say hi. But music on Spotify and, and all that jazz. Okay, Katie Brooks, take it away. Sorry. 
Co-host Cindy V and our very special guests Emma Howard Boyd and Hannah Shah with music from Katie Brooks. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Selinski for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Croft, Mangina DCO, and everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Woo! And how can our pensions help us do that? I've just dropped that in there in case Tom wants to put that at the top because it's such a good thesis. So that's a pickup from me because he might put that at the top and then yeah. you can, yeah, I just wanted to say it so it's easy for him. I didn't want you to go, what? After Don't all you think we've been Deborah, talking about. Uh, so that was a pickup for me. Oh, it's the um, end of the Bible and you say, who was Jesus? <laughs> A huge thank you to all of our amazing patrons sponsoring us at the Smash the Patriarchy level or above. John Quilcoy, Sarah Brown and Sarah Boom.